بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار <coughs> so today is our fourth lesson on this tremendous hadith hadith qudsi which begins by mentioning the prohibition of zulm which is oppression and in the previous few lessons we have been through the first part of the hadith there are 10 parts altogether the first relates to zulm uh, the second relates to guidance and the third relates to food so zulm we have covered and guidance we covered and likewise the issue of uh, food sustenance and likewise clothing as well we covered in the previous uh, lesson so this brings us now to the fifth part of the hadith and this is the statement uh, of allah azawajal in what is related from him through his messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam in this hadith of Abu Dhar of Abi Dhar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu and so ya ibadi innakum tukhti'una bil-layli wan-nahar wa ana aghfiru dhunuba jami'a fastaghfiruni aghfir lakum O my servants indeed you sin by day by night and by day and I forgive all sins so seek forgiveness from me and i shall forgive you so the sheikh begins sheikh rabi hafizahullah ta'ala begins his explanation by drawing attention to the hadith kullu bani adam khata' wa khair al-khata'in at-tawwabun pointing out a reality which is that all of the offspring of adam all of the sons of adam they make mistakes or they sin they make mistakes or they make sin they commit sin and the best of those and the, the word khata here it's a it's a form which means something that is done repetitively and frequently so kullu bani adam khata that they frequently commit sins and the best of those who commit sins are the tawwabun tawwabun those who repeatedly or cons- constantly or frequently they make tauba they make tauba they make tauba so the sheikh says that we sin by day by night and with this reality what is our refuge to whom do we turn for refuge to whom do we turn for the for, for protection from the consequences of the sins so who do we turn to that we may be forgiven and 
these sins are such that had it not been for the forgiveness of Allah for his maghfirah and for his mercy then most certainly we would enter into the hellfire on account of them and likewise had it not been for this forgiveness and mercy these which are, which are qualities of Allah then we would have earned the anger the maqt and the sakhat and the ghadab the anger and the hatred of Allah so it is clear therefore from these questions that the shaykh has posed that our refuge that he to whom we turn to is Allah and seeking forgiveness uh, from him and these sins which are committed the shaykh says they could be sins which are major sins the kabair or they could be sins which are minor sins the sagair and we fall into these and so we seek forgiveness from Allah and we humble ourselves to him and ask him that he may forgive our sins. And the forgiveness of sins is a great and mighty affair. It's a tremendous affair if one was to reflect upon this issue. And so in this respect, the Shaykh, he brings some tremendous ayat from the Quran in which Allah mentions how those who are closest to him, meaning the angels, and how they make dua to Allah in their closeness to him, and how they make tawassal to him in their dua, and they seek forgiveness for the believers. And so in, this, in these ayat, Allah he says there in Surah Ghafir, at the beginning of Surah Ghafir, which is the 40th Surah, verses 7 uh, onwards to eight, eight, nine, ten onwards. So, so Allah Azawajal He says, arsh waman Those who carry the throne, those who carry the throne of Allah Azawajal, and then those who are around it. So we have those who are the carriers of the arsh, and then we have the ones who are around it. So there are types of angels. About them, He says, "Yusabihuna bihamdi Rabbihim." They glorify the praises of their Lord and they believe in Him. And they seek forgiveness for those who believe. Oh Lord, you have encompassed everything. With your, in terms of your mercy and your knowledge. So this now here, look at this, this is a means of nearness to Allah by mentioning His attributes. رَبَّنَا وَسِعْتَ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ رَحْمَةً وَعِلْمًا O our Lord, you have encompassed everything in terms of mercy and knowledge. فَاغْفِرْ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَاتَّبَعُوا سَبِيلَكَ وَقِهِمْ عَذَابَ الْجَحِيمِ so forgive, forgive those who have repented and who follow your path and save them from the punishment of the hellfire. Rabbana wa adkhilhum, and then they continue. Rabbana wa adkhilhum jannati adni lillati wa'attahum wa man salaha min abaihim wa azwajihim wa dhurriyatihim. O our Lord, and enter them into gardens of eternity which you have promised to them and those who are righteous 
from their fathers or their forefathers, from their fathers, their parents, and their spouses, meaning their wives or their husbands, and their offspring. Indeed, you are the mighty, Al Aziz, Al Hakim, the all wise. And protect them. Protect them from the evil deeds. And those whom you save from them, meaning from the consequences of the evil deeds on that day, then indeed you have shown him mercy. And that is the mighty success or the, or the victory or the achievement. So we see in these ayat some tremendous affairs that relate to the issue of forgiveness and the forgiveness of sins and the one who is saved from the consequences of his, of his sins on that day, on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So the Shaykh says, if Allah Azawajal, He actually saves you from the consequences of your sins, then this is a tremendous, mighty achievement and a victory. And what does this mean to save you, that He uh, saves you from the sayyat? It means He actually forgives you. By forgiving you, He will then have saved you from the consequences or the evil consequences which are from the effects of sins. And we see that there are, there are three things that Allah bestows upon a servant, which is, first of all, you are saved from the consequences of your sins. And if you are saved from the consequences of your sins, then you have indeed attained a tremendous achievement. And then after this, the second thing after this, so this is the first thing, just to be saved from the con consequences of your sins. What does it say in the ayah? وَذَٰلِكَ هُوَ الْفَوْزُ الْعَظِيمُ This in itself is a achievement, a tremendous and a mighty achievement. Now that's the first thing, the first thing. And then after this is to be entered into paradise. This is another thing now. So now you are successful with another success. And this is entering into paradise. And... So if you are saved, one thing follows from the other thing. If you are saved from punishment, you will enter into the paradise. The first thing is a mighty success, and then paradise is another success. And then, after this, you will then see your Lord, Tabaraka wa Ta'ala. You will see Allah, Tabaraka wa Ta'ala, Allah the Blessed and Exalted. And this now is even better than paradise itself. And to see Allah in the home of the hereafter, this actually is a greater reward for the believers than the fact that they've actually entered into paradise and every other pleasure and bliss that they experience within paradise itself. And the Sheikh says that Jannah itself, we know that it has tremendous bliss, tremendous bounties and many degrees and ranks which will please the believers tremendously. However, when they see Allah wa Taala, then these favors and bounties that they are enjoying, they will they will compare as if they are they, they will be insignificant compared to seeing Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. So the Sheikh says that we ask Allah to bestow upon us 
forgiveness and his pleasure and that he bestows upon us the the pleasure of looking at his noble face and so to do that what is the meaning of this statement in the hadith what is the meaning of these ayat in the quran that we've listened, just listened to the meaning of that is that we seek forgiveness from allah and that we are frequent in seeking forgiveness from allah azawajal and to emphasize this the shaykh then brings our attention to a number of points first of all the fact that the messenger of allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam he is the one whose sins have been forgiven ma taqaddama wa ma ta'akhkhar all of his you know all of his sins what he whatever sins were done whatever sins were, were, were to come and he protected protected him from committing the major sins and just as all of the the, the, the prophets and messengers of allah azawajal they were protected from committing major sins this is a matter of ijma all of the scholars are united and agreed that the prophets and messengers of allah azawajal they do not fall into major sins and um uh, as for minor sins then we see that the minor sins are the, the prophets and messengers can fall into them but when they fall into them they do not persist upon them and they are notified by allah azawajal of their error and their mistake and they do not return back to them and in relation to that uh, we need to move back uh, to the to the previous uh, uh, point about seeing the face of allah azawajal because we missed uh, a text an important text which is a hadith in sahih muslim uh, from suhaib radiyallahu anhu from the prophet sallam who said in that regard that when the people of paradise and the paradise idha dakhala ahlul janna al janna qala yaqulu allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when the people of paradise and the paradise allah tbaraka wa ta'ala will say do you want anything turiduna shay'an azidukum do you want anything in which i shall give you increase and they will say have you not illuminated our faces have you not made our faces bright have you not entered into entered us into paradise and have you not saved us and delivered us from the hell fire so then he meaning allah will remove the covering the veil the hijab and they will not have been given anything more beloved to them than looking at the face of their lord this is a hadith in sahih muslim that uh, should have come uh, a bit earlier in relation to the previous point so the point being that when this is the greatest bliss and this is not achieved except by entering into paradise and paradise is not achieved except by attaining forgiveness from allah azawajal which saves it from the hell fire then the shaykh goes on to explain that what should motivate us to seek this forgiveness from allah azawajal is first of all to know that the messenger of allah sallam that he was the one whose sins all of them have been forgiven and when we speak about the prophets and messengers we should know that it is a matter of consensus that the prophets and messengers do not fall into major sins this is agreed upon as for minor sins then that which is correct is that they can fall into minor sins but they do not persist upon those minor sins and allah azawajal he notifies them corrects them and they do not return to those minor sins and also in addition to that as well when we speak of these minor sins we have to understand 
that these what are counted as minor sins for the prophets and messengers are mistakes that they made uh, on account of an ijtihad. So they made ijtihad in an issue whereby, for example, they might have preferred the lesser of two good things. The lesser of two good things. And this is how the scholars they explain, the Mufassirun they explain the opening part of Surah Abasa, Abasa wa Tawalla and Ja'ahul A'ma, the 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 surah in which it is mentioned about the blind man, and the context of that is that the messenger of Allah, a blind man came to him wanting instruction, wanting knowledge, wanting to increase in his guidance and his you know piety. And at the same time there were some of the nobles of Quraysh. And so the messenger of Allah from his ijtihad he opted to turn to the nobles of Quraysh, anticipating that they perhaps might respond and accept guidance. However, this was an ijtihad in which he chose the lesser of two beneficial things. And hence, the ayat came down and the surah came down. And this was essentially a, a khata, a mistake. So when we speak about the minor sins of the prophets and messengers, they are of this nature. And that's because the prophets and messengers, they have a much higher uh, you know, uh, standard uh, than for the, you know, the average person. And for that reason, this, would be, this is treated as a, a mistake. Uh, treated as a mistake or a sin. And so the prophets and messengers, they do not persist upon the likes of these affairs. And this is how the scholars, the scholars of Ahl-Sunnah have elucidated this issue. So it is a matter of consensus that the prophets and messengers do not fall into major sins. And as for minor sins, which are errors and mistakes of judgment, then the prophets and messengers can fall into them. However, they do not persist upon them and they make, uh, you know, they, they seek, make istighfar and they do not, do not uh, persist upon them. And so for that reason, we see the ijma' is cited from Al-Qadi Iyad in uh, Al-Shifa. He says, أَجْمَعَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ عَلَىٰ عِسْمَةِ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ مِنَ الْفَوَاهِشِ وَالْكَبَائِرَ الْمُبِقَاتِ the Muslims are unanimously agreed upon the uh, isma, the, 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 the prophets are protected and safe from committing al-fawahish. Al-fawahish, these are evil uh, deeds, and al-kabair, these are major serious uh, sins, al-mubiqat, those which are the destructive uh, major sins. And um, as for the issue of minor sins, then we see that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah ta'ala, he says in Minhaj al-Sunnah al-Nabawiyyah, he says, وَعَامَةُ الْجُمْحُورِ الَّذِينَ يُجَوِّزُونَ عَلِيهِمُ الصَّغَائِرِ يَقُولُونَ إِنَّهُمْ مَعْصُونَ مِنَ الْإِقْرَارِ عَلِيهَا فَلَا يَصْدُرُ عَلِيهِمْ مَا يَضُرُّهُمْ He says the generality of the, you know, the majority of the, the scholars, or of those who say that it is possible for minor sins to occur from the prophets and messengers, they say that they are protected from continuing upon them. Right. So if they fall into a, a minor sin, then the prophets and messengers will not continue upon them. They will not be settled upon them. And therefore, nothing 
arises from the prophets and messengers that which harms them. Right? So meaning that in the conduct of the prophets and messengers, nothing arises which which actually harms them. Why? Because whatever they fall into is a khata, is a mistake, even if it's referred to as a sin, and they make istighfar and they do not persist upon that, you know, that minor sin. As for major sins, they know they do not fall into them. So once that point is clear, then uh, the Shaykh goes on to explain. We see that the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that he is, uh, you know, that he is, uh, even though he is protected in this respect from falling into major sins, then we see that he used to seek istighfar from Allah in a day more than 70 times. More than 70 times. And in a narration, a hundred times. As we see in the hadith of Abu Huraira, radiallahu anhu, who said, I heard the messenger of Allah sallam say, uh, Wallahi, inni la astaghfirullah, wa atubu ilayh fil yawmi akthara min sab'ina marra. Indeed, I seek forgiveness from Allah and repent to him in a day more than 70 times, as reported by Al-Bukhari. And likewise, we have uh, another hadith in which the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, um, Indeed, I seek forgiveness from Allah in a day a hundred times, as is related in the Sahih of Muslim. And so from that, we see that this is narrated from many of the companions, not just one or two. We see that Abu Huraira has related it, Hudayfa bin al-Yaman has related it, Ibn Umar has related it, and many others. So this is something that is known from the Sahaba that they would observe and witness the Messenger of Allah sitting and seeking forgiveness more than 70 times in a day, 100 times in a day. And the we see from Ibn Umar, he said that we used to sit and count in the gathering of the Messenger of Allah that he would say a hundred times, Rabbi Ghfirli. This is one of the supplications that a person makes. Rabbi Ghfirli, O my Lord, forgive me. And turn to me, meaning accept my forgiveness and accept my repentance. Indeed, you are the one who oft accepts repentance and the one who shows mercy to his servants. So, this is the Messenger of Allah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And he is the messenger of Allah Sallallahu And all of his sins have been forgiven And this is the way That he would be concerned With istighfar And with tawbah And by humbling himself to Allah And frequently making istighfar Seeking forgiveness uh, from his sins Despite the fact there is nothing that, Of sin that is, that is with him No major sins no, no, nothing, that, nothing of this, of, of this sort and likewise, he would teach his closest and best companion, Abu Bakr, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and say, Allahumma, uh, teach him to say, Allahumma inni zalamtu nafsi. O Allah, I have wronged my soul, dhulman kathiran, with a great amount of dhulm. Wala yaghfiru dhunuba illa ant. And no one forgives sins except for you. Faghfir li maghfiratan min indik. So forgive me with a forgiveness from yourself and show mercy to me. Indeed, you are Al-Ghafoor, the one who forgives, and Ar-Rahim, and the one who shows mercy. 
So this is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the messenger of Allah who teach him this supplication. And likewise, another supplication. Allahumma inni dharamtu nafsi dhulman kathiran wala yaghfiru dhunuba illa ant. To the end. So from all of this, what do we gather? We gather that there is no refuge. There is no protection except to Allah when it comes to seeking forgiveness from sins. And there is no one besides Allah who can remove from you even an atom's weight of that sin that you might come to him with. And to, to, to emphasize this meaning, the fact that there is no one besides Allah who can remove from you even an atom weight of the sin that you might come with, then the Shaykh mentions the story, the example of those three companions who they held back from going out in the expedition of Tabuk. And this, in this expedition there were many people who withheld from going back and from them were three companions. And from them was Ka'ab bin Malik. And as a result of this thing which they committed and uh, it was presumed about them that they did not have a genuine excuse, even though they, they, they you know, they, they, they had an, they made an excuse. And so the messenger of Allah Sallallahu he boycotted them and he ordered all of the Muslims to boycott them for forty days, and then they added another ten days after that. And this boycott was such that no one at all would speak to them. They were commanded not to speak to them. So you can now imagine that you are going about your affairs for 40 days, add 10, 50 days, and no one is speaking to you. And because they, they, they fell back from going out in the expedition of Tabuk. And they gave their excuse, whatever the excuse was, and they were truthful in their excuse. And... They explained it, however, the messenger of Allah he was of the view that there wasn't a legitimate excuse. So therefore they waited for revelation to come down. So this period, the messenger of Allah, they, 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 they waited. No one was, you know, everyone was commanded not to speak to them. And uh, he left their affair to Allah Azawajal until eventually the ayah revealed, or the ayat came down. And the ayat came down, which basically exonerated them, and which explained that the, you know they were obviously they were they were truthful. But what this incident shows to us is that there is no one you can go to or turn to for the forgiveness of sins. Not even the Messenger of Allah This is a refutation of the Sufis, you know, the extremist Sufis, who claim that you can that even now today you can go to the Messenger of Allah and you can ask him for forgiveness. And they misinterpret some of the ayat in the Qur'an in order to, to justify this. But in this example, they had to wait for the revelation from Allah to be informed that Allah has accepted their repentance. And that he knows of them that they are truthful and that they are sincere. And during this period, these companions were in such hardship and difficulty. Can you imagine that no one is speaking to you from the from 
the, the messenger of Allah and the companions, no one's speaking to you. And you have to go about and conduct your affairs amongst the Muslimin. No one's speaking to you. They're, they're boycotting you. And you are waiting for revelation. And then, as the ayat, they mention, so until so meaning until the earth becomes became so constricted upon them even though the earth is vast meaning the affairs became so hard upon them that it seemed as if the, the earth became became constricted upon them even though the earth is is uh, vast and likewise their souls became constricted and they وَظَنُّوا أَن لَا مَلْجَأَ مِنَ اللَّهِ إِلَّا إِلَيْهِ And then they knew, they were convinced, they were certain that there is no escape from Allah except to Him. There's no escape from Allah except to Him. So, look at how the Messenger of Allah is the best of mankind, is the greatest of mankind, yet they did not take Him as a refuge. They did not go to him for the forgiveness of their sins because they knew that there is no escape from Allah except to Allah when it comes to the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. And likewise, the removal of difficulties and hardships. This is only for Allah It is from, and this is from the Tawheed of Allah That only He provides refuge. That only He is the one who forgives sins. And so on and so forth. Now incidentally, uh, a point that we should have mentioned earlier on as well, is that this issue of, of, of seeking forgiveness from, for sins is a sign of perfection of, of, of a servant. And it is unlike what the Christians say, because the Christians, they come and they make these arguments and they say, was your prophet Muhammad Did he not seek forgiveness for his sins? Was he not sinful? And they make this argument. This is where they come from. And they say, and they're trying to basically say that Isa salam was sinless and therefore he's superior and better. And the fact of the matter is that to be, as, as we mentioned, that the messenger of Allah salam, that he is ma'asum from committing major sins and as for mistakes in errors of judgment and those types of errors which, which, are, which, are, which is a khata, an, an error or a mistake, then he does not persist upon them. And prophets and messengers can make these types of uh, judgments and, and, and mistakes. And so th there's nothing within that which is a form of criticism or a belittlement. Rather what it shows is that the only one who is perfect, absolute perfection is for Allah Azawajal. Right? He is the all-knowing, the all-wise, the all-hearing. He is Al-Adl, the just, Al-Hakam. Right? And he is, you know, uh, in everything that he that he uh, creates and that he brings about and that he wills in everything, there is absolute perfect wisdom and everything is in its proper place. So absolute perfection is only for Allah Azza wa Jal. You cannot, you cannot ascribe absolute perfection to anyone other than Allah Azza wa Jal. And then as for the prophets and messengers, the greatest station, the greatest quality that they can have is of ubudiyah. Ubudiyah. That's why the best label and the best title is Abdullah. To be an Abdullah wa Rasulullah. The, the servant of Allah and his messenger. And Isa alayhi salam was likewise, he was an Abd of Allah. He was a slave of Allah, servant of Allah. And he was, was his messenger. And he would pray to Allah. 
and he would prostrate to Allah, and he would see forgiveness of his sin of, of sins from Allah right? And and so on and so forth. So in that respect, when these Christians say that did not your messenger seek forgiveness for his sins? Well, so did every single messenger. Every messenger sought forgiveness for his sins. Every messenger saw himself as a servant and a slave to Allah So this is just from the feeble arguments of, of the Nasara, of the Christians. Why? Because they are those who exaggerate. Their deen is built upon exaggeration. They give the qualities of Allah to a man. And they deify him. And they worship him alongside Allah This is from their ghulu. This is from the exaggeration. And Isa Islam is free and innocent of that. So anyway, this is a feeble argument that they bring. But the point being here, that when we look at this issue of forgiveness, there is no prophet or messenger who can forgive your sins. Neither Ibrahim salam, nor Nuh salam, nor Musa salam, nor Isa salam, and nor Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? These are qualities of, Ulu, of, of Allah from the qualities of his, you know, his lordship, from the qualities of his uluhiyah, his right to be worshipped. And so this incident that the Shaykh mentioned here, it emphasizes to us that Allah is the one who forgives all sins and that we turn to him and that we are sincere in our repentance and our istighfar. And that's why in this story, Ka'ab bin Malik, who was one of those companions, one of those three, <coughs> he explained that on that day when those ayat were revealed, that he never experienced a day of happiness greater than that since the time that he accepted Islam. And that's why we see there's a narration from him. He says that by Allah, Allah did not bestow upon me any favor after he after he'd guided me to Islam, that was greater than revealing my truthfulness to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that I was not one who I, and that I did not lie to him. And so, you know, this this was a, a moment of tremendous joy for Kaab bin Malik, and uh, in that he granted him tawfiq in being truthful, and they did not lie. And they did not bring about false excuses like those who brought false excuses and they were exposed by Allah and who were, you know, who were, who were uh, ascribed hypocrisy and things like that. So, uh, you know, it was a day of tremendous joy for him. So, from all of this discussion, each one of us should strive to be truthful to Allah, having a siddq. And asking Allah with siddq and sticking to siddq in all of your life, from its beginning to its end, in your ibadah, in your ikhlas, in your dealings with the servants of Allah all of this in your dealing with Allah first and foremost, and then in your dealing with, 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 your, with, with, the, with the servants of Allah And this is what we have been commanded with, as the, as the Prophet وسلم, he said, عَلَيْكُمْ بِالصِّدْقَ فَإِنَّ الصِّدْقَ يَحْدِي إِلَى الْبِرَّ وَإِنَّ الْبِرَّ يَحْدِي إِلَى الْجَنَّةِ وَمَا يَزَالُ الرَّجُلُ يَصْدُقُ وَيَتَحَرَّ الصِّدْقُ حَتَّى يُكْتَبَ عِنْدَ اللَّهِ صِدِّيقًا Upon you is to be truthful. For indeed truthfulness guides to righteousness. And indeed righteousness guides and leads to paradise. And a man never ceases to be truthful. And he 
you know, he وَيَتَحَرَّ الصِّدْقِ That he, um, he strives and he you know, makes effort to remain truthful until he is written with Allah as a Siddiq. As a Siddiq. And beware of lying. وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْكَذِبِ For indeed Al-Kadhib guides to Al-Fujur, to sinfulness. And sinfulness leads and guides to the hellfire. And a man never ceases to lie, to be untruthful, and exerting in that until he is written with Allah as a kathab, as a liar. So this issue of Sidq is a, <clears throat> is a tremendous affair, a tremendous affair as it relates to seeking forgiveness and being truthful in everything. And if you're truthful in those affairs, if you're truthful to Allah Azawajal, then Allah Azawajal, you know, will guide you to righteousness, will guide you to bir, will guide you eventually to paradise. And the shaykh ends by uh, making dua, making supplication that Allah asks, that he asks Allah Azawajal to make us from the sadiqeen, and that he protects us from being from the paths, from being upon the paths and the ways of those who are astray and those who are the liars. So this now brings an end to the issue, the, 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 the fifth part of the hadith, the issue of sins. Ya ibadi, innakum tukhti'una bil-layl wal-nahar, wa ana aghfiru al-dhunuba jami'a fastaghfiruni, aghfir lakum. So this is a reminder as it relates to the issue of sins. Then we come to the next part of the hadith, and this is the statement of Allah Azawajal, Ya ibadi, إِنَّكُمْ لَن تَبْلُغُوا ضُرِّي فَتَضُرُّونِي وَلَن تَبْلُغُوا نَفْعِي فَتَنْفَعُونِي O my servants, indeed, you will not be able to bring me harm such that you harm me. Nor will you be able to reach benefiting me such that you benefit me. So here now again, we see if you look at all of these 10 segments of this hadith, you see that they all bring out the various meanings of Tawheed and elaborate upon the Tawheed of Allah Azawajal. And so here in this part, the Shaykh says that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He is Al-Aziz, He is Al-Hakim, He is the Mighty, the Wise, He is Al-Qahir, Al-Qahir. The one who is the subduer, who cannot be overcome. And he is Al-Azim, the mighty. So the servants are not able to harm Allah with anything if they were to disobey him. When you disobey Allah, if Allah is disobeyed, disobeyed then this, they, they harm only themselves. There is no one who can harm Allah with his kufr, with his shirk, with his sin, with his disobedience, with his ungratefulness, no matter what crime it is, then no one can harm Allah And if they were to obey him, then no one brings any benefit to Allah by way of his obedience. So sin, in all of its very, uh, disobedience in all of its forms and types, whether it is shirk, and the greatest of shirk and kufr, or it is disobedience, and in all of its various forms and types, whether it is major sins, minor sins, and so on and so forth, then anyone who falls into that, he harms only himself. He cannot bring any harm to Allah And likewise the one who obeys Allah with the greatest of obedience, then he only benefits himself. 
he cannot bring any benefit to Allah by way of his obedience. And so this shows to us in this tremendous portion of the hadith. And it reminds us, in fact, it brings us, uh, brings to our hearts, it strengthens our, our iman from numerous angles. From those angles is that it's, it strengthens our hearts in the face of those who disbelieve. And from their plots, and from their plans, and from their arrogance, and from their disbelief, or from their shirk, and from all of the harm that they bring. We see that Allah Zawajal, He says, وَلَا يَحْزُنْكَ الَّذِينَ يُسَارِعُونَ فِي الْكُفْرِ إِنَّهُمْ لَنْ يَضُرُّ اللَّهَ شَيْئًا do not, let, do, not, do, not call, do not let those who rush into disbelief make you become sad. Do not let, let them make you grieve. Indeed, they do not harm Allah in anything. They do not harm Allah in anything. So often sometimes you see that we, when we see what happens in the dunya of the zulm, the oppression and the harm, and all of the tremendous and mighty things that we experience and witness and see here, do not, do not. The Messenger is being told here: do not let those who rush into disbelief, do not let them make you grieve, for they do not harm Allah in anything. So we should bring this affair to mind that those who disbelieve and commit shirk and kufr, that harm is only upon themselves. It will not harm Allah in anything. And likewise, similar ayah at the end of Surah Ali Imran, towards the very end, لَا يَغُرَّنَّكَ تَقَلُّبُ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فِي الْبِلَادِ Do not let those, the, you know, the, the, the wandering, the, the moving to and fro of those who disbelieve, to deceive you. Don't be, don't be deceived by that. It is simply a small amount of enjoyment and then their abode will be Jahannam. So these ayat, what do they, what, what do they show to us? Uh, what they indicate to us uh, is that the servants are incapable of bringing any harm to Allah. Not even an atom's weight. And he is Al-Aziz, he is Al-Mani' the one who prevents Al-Ghani, the, the one free of need, Al-Hamid, the praiseworthy. And that's why we see in the Quran, وَقَالَ مُوسَىٰ إِن تَكْفُرُوا أَنْتُمْ وَمَنْ فِي الْأَرْضِ جَمِيعًا فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَغَنِيٌّ حَمِيدٌ If you and all of the people of the earth were to disbelieve, then indeed Allah is ghani. He, he is free of any need. He is worthy of all praise. And likewise we see, وَإِن تَكْفُرُوا فَإِنَّ لِلَّهِ مَا فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَمَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَكَانَ اللَّهُ غَنِيًّا حَمِيدًا That if you disbelieve, then to Allah belongs all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth. And indeed Allah is ever one who is ghani and hamid. The one who is free of need and all praiseworthy. So Allah is not in need of the obedience of anybody. The obedience of no person benefits Allah And the disobedience of no person harms Allah Rather the benefit and harm only comes back to the one who obeys and to the one who disobeys. Hence we see the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Man amila salihan fali nafsih. 
The one who works righteousness, it is only for himself. وَمَنْ أَسَاءَ فَعَلَيْهَا And the one who commits evil, it is only upon himself. وَمَا رَبُّكَ بِظَلَّامٍ لِلْعَبِيدِ And your Lord is never one who would be oppressive to his servants. This is Surah Fussilat, Surah 40, uh, 41, verse number 46. So, النَّفَعْ فَالنَّفَعْ عَائِدٌ لِلْمُطِيعَ Benefit returns back to who? To the one who is obedient, not to Allah Azza wa Jal. And harm, adur, aidun, ala al-asi. Harm comes back to who? To the one who is disobedient. It doesn't, it cannot reach Allah Azza wa Jal. And as for the one who mixes between righteous deeds, between obedience and disobedience, good deeds and evil deeds, then he will harm himself through the angle of his evil deeds. That harm will come to him. And he will, ben- uh, he will harm himself in accordance with his evil deeds. And the good will come to him, the benefit will come to him in accordance with the, with the, with the righteous deeds. And so then, when a servant comes on Yawmul Qiyamah, and his deeds are put on the scales, if the good deeds outweigh the evil deeds, then he will deserve reward. Right, So on the scales, if the benefit he acquired for himself is greater, then he will be deserving of paradise. Right, He will be deserving of paradise. And if his evil deeds are greater than the good deeds, in this situation, unless he is forgiven by Allah, then he will enter into hellfire. And so it is up to Allah. If he wants, he will forgive him. And if he wants, he will punish him. And if he does not forgive him, then, then he will enter into the hellfire, though he will not enter into the hellfire and remain therein forever. Unlike the one who is the disbeliever. So, what do we take from this? We take from this that every single disbeliever on the face of this earth, from the time of Nuh alayhi salam, because the first disbelievers, when shirk entered into the ummah, were in the time of Nuh after 10 gen- generations, all of the, the nation, all of the sons of Adam, all of mankind were upon Tawheed and gratitude to Allah So from the first disbeliever, the first kafir, the first disbeliever, from the time of Nuh up until the establishment of the hour, then all of them put together will not be able to harm Allah in anything. The disbeliever of no time and no era, no matter how big he is, how powerful he is, whether we're speaking about Fir'aun or Nimrud or people throughout the ages, then they will never ever be able to harm Allah in anything because he is Al-Ghani Al-Hamid, the one free of all needs, the one who is worthy of all praise. So the point being that acts of obedience do not benefit Allah and acts of disobedience do not harm Allah because he to him belongs the mulku samawati wal ard the dominion of the heavens and the earth and he is the creator of this creation and all of this creation is the example of this creation is as ibn abbas radiyallahu ta'ala who said that the likeness of the seven heavens and the earth and whatever is within them in the hand of allah is like when you take a, a a small seed, a, t- a tiny small seed, and you put it in one of your hands, meaning it is insignificant. Right? The heavens and the earth are insignificant 
to Allah And on the day of judgment, the seven heavens will be in his grasp, and the seven and the earth likewise will be in his in his in his other hand. And that's why we see in the hadith, uh, the hadith uh, in which this is a hadith reported by Al Bukhari, in which the Messenger of Allah said that Allah will place the heavens on a finger, and the earth upon a finger, and the mountains upon a finger, finger, and the trees and the rivers upon a finger, and then all of the creation upon the finger. And then he will say, I am Al-Malik, and Al-Malik. He will say, I am the king. And so all of this shows that Allah is Al-Qawi, Al-Qadir, Al-Azim, Al-Hakam, Al-Adal. He is the strong, the powerful. Al-Qadir, the able. Al-Azim, the mighty. Al-Hakam, the one who is, you know, Al-Hakam, the, the, the judge. Al-Adal, the one who is just. And he does not commit oppression, even an atom's weight of oppression. And nor is he need of anything. Because the, the person who commits oppression, he commits oppression because he is in need of something, right? If a person wants to steal, he's in need of that wealth. If a person wants to kill someone, it's because he's got some motive, or he's got some vengeance, or he's got something that, that he's in need of, because uh, that, that, that is behind him killing someone, right? So a person who commits dhulm, it's because he is needy of something for him to commit dhulm. But Allah Zawajal, He is Al-Ghani. He is free of all need. Therefore, He does not commit dhulm. He does not commit dhulm. Even though if He wanted to, He could commit dhulm. But He does not commit dhulm. And as the Shaykh says, وَهُوَ لَا يَحْتَاجُ إِلَىٰ شَيْءٍ حَتَّى يَظْلِمْ Allah Zawajal is not, is not in need of anything such that He would go and commit oppression. So He is free and innocent and purified from all of that, from that he should wrong or oppress everyone, anyone, even if it be with an atom's weight. So the point being, the shahid from the hadith, uh, the shaykh is saying, the shahid from this hadith is that the believer, is that these types of ayat that we are listening to in the Qur'an, these types of ahadith that we are listening to here, then he should understand that whenever you do a righteous deed, you are only benefiting yourself. It's only for your own benefit. You are not increasing the kingdom of Allah in anything. And if you commit an evil deed, it is upon, it is against your own soul. So the point being, what do we take from this? Is that we should increase in goodness. We should increase in doing righteous deeds. Because a single righteous deed is equal 10 times its like to 700 times its like. And when a servant says, Alhamdulillah, then this fills the scales of a servant. Just for saying Alhamdulillah. And likewise when a person says, Subhanallah, and Alhamdulillah, and Allahu Akbar, these fill that which is between the earth and the heavens. So a person should increase in the dhikr of Allah. And a person should increase in obedience to Allah. And within that, he should be sincere and truthful as we preceded in, in, in the previous section, section. That a person should be truthful and make istighfar to Allah. And all of the benefit of all of that will come back upon you. The greater you are in obedience, in istighfar, in acts of obedience, 
the greater will be the benefit that will come back to you. You are only helping your own soul. You will not benefit Allah in anything. And keep away from the sins. In the hadith we see, مَا نَحِيتُكُمْ عَنْهُ فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ وَمَا أَمَرْتُكُمْ بِهِ فَافْعَلُوا مَا مِنْهُ مَا مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ Whatever I have prohibited you from, then keep away from all of it. And whatever I have commanded you, then do from it as much as you are able. So the shaykh then mentions a very good point in relation to this, uh, this hadith, which is that if you look at the righteous deeds which we have been commanded with, they are only in accordance with the ability of the servant. The ability and the power and capability of the servant. And this is because Allah does not impose any burden upon a servant that he cannot bear. So when it comes to righteous deeds, doing deeds, which require effort and exertion, then the principle in relation to that is do from it as much as you are able. And why? Because this is in accordance with ability and power. لا يكلف الله نفسا إلا وسعها وما جعل عليكم في الدين من من حرج. So Allah has not, you know, uh, imposed upon a soul more than its burden. And in another ayah, Allah has not made for you any hardship in the religion. And this is because righteous deeds they involve effort and striving. And Hence, the principle in relation to them is that you do that which you are able. As for evil deeds, you don't need to make any effort or striving for evil deeds. Because what is it with evil deeds? It is pure abandonment. It is tark. Right? There's, there's no, what effort is involved in, in avoiding evil deeds? Nothing. Because you're not doing anything. You're just withholding from something. When you, when you withhold from something, there's no physical activity or there's, there's no effort involved right there's no effort involved so amal righteous deed requires amal taqa imkaniya action effort cap- you know ability as for maasi it is pure tark it is pure abandonment so it does not require anything from you so prayer fasting hajj all of these things they require physical effort on your behalf. It's true. These are hardships. These are difficulties. But in the Sharia of Islam, there are no burdens which have been placed upon us. Everyone according to, uh, according to ability. And as for sins, then there is nothing involved in that at all, you know, except for just withholding. And that's why we see in the Sharia, we see tremendous wisdom. Um, for example, in the Hadith, Salli qa'iman, فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ فَقَاعِدًا فَإِن لَمْ تَسْتَطِعْ فَعَلَى جَنْبٍ Pray standing. And if you are not able, then pray sitting. And if you are not able, then lying on your side. And likewise, when a person, for example, he, he um, travels, and traveling is something that involves hardship, and you know, in your prayer there will be hardship, in fasting there's hardship. So the prayer... Those prayers which are four raka'at, they've been reduced to two. And likewise fasting. You have the option, you know, you have the concession not to fast. And so this is the tremendous wisdom in the sharia of Allah that those affairs which require amal, which require action on your behalf, which require exertion, effort, striving, involve tiredness and so on and so forth, 
then there are concessions in the Sharia and which are based upon ability and presence of hardship. Hence you see concessions in the likes of these situations and scenarios. scenarios. But as for the other half, the issue of prohibitions, then we see in the hadith he said, نَحَيْتُكُمْ anhu فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ Look at the difference. Whatever I have prohibited you from, فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ Blanket. Unqualified. Right? But as for what we've been commanded, then do of it, مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ فَعَلُوا مِنْهُ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ then do from it as much as you are able. So the two have not been treated equally. Right? Doing something, then as much as you are able. As for keeping away from that which he has made unlawful, then you keep away from all of it. So he prohibited us from al-qatl, killing, al-zina, al-saraqa, stealing, and uh, you know, drinking intoxicants, and from the qaba'ir, which are the major or the minor. All of these, it's possible for everyone to just withhold and not do them. You can just withhold, that's all it requires. And so therefore, because this is, everyone is capable of this, they have the imkaniyah, then he said, فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ A blanket prohibition. Then keep away from it all. But on the other hand, so, so we see here, he did not say, فَاجْتَنِبُوهُ إِنِسْتَطَعْتُمْ If you are able. Rather he said, keep away from all of it. And so, uh, so we see that where there, are, where there are difficulties in the thakalif, in the acts of worship, then we have concessions. And things have been made lighter from us. And this is from the, uh, you know, the, the great uh, uh, wisdom in the sharia of Allah Zawajal, in that he has bestowed us a favor, in that he has completed his deen upon us. And that's why we read in the ayah, Al-Yawma Ya'isa Al-Ladheena Kafaru Min Deenikum this day have those who disbelieve, are they, have they despaired of your religion? So do not fear them, but fear me. On this day have I perfected my the religion upon you, and have completed my favor upon you, and have have become pleased with Islam for you as your as a religion so this day have i perfected for you your religion and completed my favor upon you and i'm pleased with islam for you as a religion likewise he said kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas ta'muruna bil ma'ruf wa tanhawna 'anil munkar wa tu'minuna billah you are the best nation race for mankind you to to be brought up for mankind you command the good and you prohibit the evil and you believe in allah so what do we look at these favors that allah zawajal has sent us the best Messenger, and he has honored us with the best of legislations and the most merciful of legislations and the most comprehensive of legislations. Because if you were to study the legislations of some of the people of the fast, you would have found that they were, you know, that they, 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 they had what the, the difficulties, they were, they were uh, severe and stern. But as for this sharia, then within it, within it is a samaha. Is it within it is a rahmah, samaha meaning that there is, um, you know, there, there is ease and there is mercy, and we see the messenger of Allah He said, "Inna Indeed, I was sent in order to complete the noble manners. So this deen, when you look at all of the ahkam, the rulings of this religion, you will find such 
uh, ease and lenience and mercy and so on and so forth that you will not find in the previous legislations. And so the legislation of, of Islam, even though the legislation of each messenger was perfect for that time, right? In each era, whatever circumstance they lived in, that legislation was suitable and it was perfection for that time. However, the deen of Islam, the sharia of Islam as it has come, then within it, it is the most perfect. It is al-ashmal, al-akmal, al-muhaymin, ala kulli risalat. It is the most comprehensive, inclusive, and the most uh, perfect. And, you know, that which safeguards all of the messengerships, the, the messages of all the messengers. So once we understand that, the mercy of Allah, the blessing of Allah in giving us the best of the messengers and the best of the legislations, then it is upon us to be grateful for this tremendous, mighty ni'mah from Allah and likewise for His rizq, and likewise for all of the other favors that He showers upon us. If you were to count the favors and blessings of Allah you would never be able to enumerate them. So all the things that we've pointed out in this hadith, many of the affairs of hadith, the issue of guidance, the issue of food, the issue of clothing, the issue of forgiveness that we just looked at, and this affair that we're looking at now, that, that uh, righteous deeds are for your own benefit, and you cannot bring any benefit to Allah. And evil deeds are on, uh, harm you only. You will not bring any harm to Allah So all of these things, uh, if you were to worship Allah for the whole of your life, then you would not have been grateful. You would not, you were, you would not have shown enough gratefulness even for one favor of Allah Right? A whole lifetime of obedience wouldn't be enough to be grateful for even a single favor and bounty from Allah So all of this shows that we should be grateful to Allah in that He centers the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and that he favored us with this sharia and he guided us to Islam and so therefore all of this compels us and forces and leads us to strive in his obedience and to free, flee from his disobedience so we keep away from it and that the intelligent person should understand and know that obedience is only for his own benefit and this obedience is only something that harms him as we've seen in the ayat that we looked at previously. Likewise, in this hadith, Ya ibadi, innakum lan tablughu durri fatadurruni, walan tablughu naf'i fatanfa'uni. O my servants, you will not be able to reach me with harm such that you harm me. And you will not be able to reach me with benefit such that you benefit me. So this brings us to the end of part number six, and we'll, we'll come to a close on that note. And so inshallah ta'ala in the next lesson we'll try to cover the remaining four parts of this uh, hadith Qudsi and with that we will probably conclude our discussion, our, our lessons on this particular hadith and maybe there are some questions and answers at the end that we'll go through as well inshallah ta'ala but that will be in lesson number five, the fifth and the final lesson inshallah ta'ala the next time that we get together uh, and that will now be after the a conference in Birmingham so uh, sometime in August insha'Allah ta'ala with that we'll conclude walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in